Right, we're going to continue in Matthew chapter 6, and uh, let's look at verse 1. Last week, Joey started this series on prayer, and uh, he did uh, verses 5 and 6, and then he came back with this big smile on his face and said, have I left you enough to, to speak on next week? So I've got his notes. I just want to tell you that I've got his notes. If you were here last week, you can go now. Now just... Are you there? <laughs> You're still awake. Don't take me too seriously. Verse 1 of Matthew chapter 6. And this sets the tone for the, for the whole section ahead. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so God uh, in Jesus speaks about the, the, the foundations of our faith, prayer, fasting, almsgiving. And he, he's saying, yeah, he, it's been done incorrectly. And uh, he, he's going to tell us the right way. In verse 5, that was dealt with last week. And when you pray, do not uh, be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by men. Now, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In verse 7, which we'll do tonight, and verse 8, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So, we're talking about prayer being universal. It's a universal concept. It's a universal practice. But it's not all glorifying to God. Not all prayer that is offered by every Tom, Dick, and Harry across the, the globe uh, brings honor to, to the Lord. And we know that there are many denominations that differ in their approach to prayer and the concept of prayer. You have the, the Eastern Orthodox Church that is, is vastly different from, from most other uh, Christian groups throughout the world. Many religions throughout the world have different concepts of prayer, and they pray to different gods, but we pray to the living God. And so Jesus teaches them the right way of praying by telling them about the wrong way. He contrasts the wrong. And Jesus often taught like that, and Paul often taught like that, don't do this because, and then, he teaches the truth. And so he t tells his predominantly Jewish audience what prayer is not about. It's not about putting on a show for others. It's not about mindless babbling. It's not about endless words and impressive lengthy prayers. Last Sunday, Joe, Joey preached on these two verses that were focusing on how prayer is man's greatest um, activity, highest activity, and yet, it can actually become sinful. It's incredible that, that that can be the case. But Martin Lloyd-Jones says that we don't have to be far away from God to, to sin. We often think of, of ourselves sinning because we're far away from God. But he, he says that sin can actually follow us into and be active even in the presence of God. And he talks about, about Satan, who was this angel of light, angel of God in heaven, and he rebels against God in heaven. 
Can you believe that? In heaven. And then Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. They have this perfect relationship with God. And they rebel against God. They had everything going for them. And they rebelled against God. And so when the Pharisees were engaged in men's, man's highest uh, activity, which is prayer, they were sinning. Why? Why were they sinning? Because they were drawing attention to themselves. They were standing on street corners, mind you. I mean, a street corner, you can be seen every which way. And they were praying on street corners. Can you imagine that? They're standing on a street corner and, and looking for a crowd. When that crowd comes, they say, you know, praying, praying to God. It's, it was self-glorifying. It wasn't glorifying to God. It wasn't worshiping God. True worship is focusing on God. That's what prayer is all about. The prophet Isaiah makes the point about the, the nation of Israel, and he brings judgment on them from God himself. Isaiah 29 and verse 13, it says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But their hearts are far from me. How sad that was. They were worshiping with their mouths. They were worshiping in praise and adoration. But there was something vital that was lacking. And that was the be all and the end all. The heart is what's so important about God. And we can come to God in prayer in our own quiet times and our hearts can be far from God. And it's meaningless. It's meaningless. And we need to come back to the heart of God. We need to have a heart for, for God. Our hearts can be lost in ourselves. We can even, even congratulate ourselves for how well we prayed, and even in our quiet times. And we can come to, to worship services, and, and we can mouth the words. And we can go through the actions. We can even raise hands and even wobble a little bit and, 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 and think we're praising God adequately. But if our hearts are far from God, there's nothing there. And God is saddened. And we need to come prepared to worship God each week. If we don't come prepared, we will not encounter God. He's longing to encounter us each week. He's longing to encounter us because he wants to change us. We're changed in worship as we encounter the living God. Have you experienced that before? When we weep before God, I've seen non-Christians come in to, and and. and and the guy was like looking around like with this fierce face, you know, that he wanted, like he wanted to punch somebody. And then further down the, the line, I thought, oh, well, better get a bodyguard or two just in case this guy does something, um, grievous bodily harm. And then he was fiddling in his pocket and he was out with his handkerchief and he was weeping before God. He realized the presence of God. He encountered God. God encountered him in prayer. Where are our hearts as we worship him, as we come Sunday by Sunday? We need to prepare our hearts to do that. And so it's not about an outward show. Secondly, it's not about mindless babbling. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. The Greek word translated here is batalogeo. Uh, and it's, it's a bit of a mystery because it's nowhere to be found in the rest of the New Testament or in Hellenistic uh, literature. And nobody knows for sure what it's about. William Tyndale in the early 16th century translated it as babbling. Uh, babbling. John Stott says that most scholars regard it as an onomatic poetic expression. The sound of the word 
indicating its meaning. The sound of the word indicating its meaning. So you can see how close those, those two are. What do you do when you babble? And, uh, the um, New English, uh, the, the English Standard Bible says and translated, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. And when we babble and heap up empty, empty phrases, uh, praying becomes meaningless to God. Absolutely meaningless. It becomes unintelligible and repetitive goggly gook. We can reiterate words over and over again, which are meaningless. We heard some prayers, oh God, oh God, oh, oh God, oh, oh, oh God, oh God, oh, 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 oh God, you know, and, and God knows his name. Just put it out there. Um, oh Lord God, oh Lord God, oh Lord God. Uh, that's just that's just a, a trivial uh, illustration, but 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 there are some groups and and they just do the same chant over over and again. And phrases we can re- repeat phrases to God. We can repeat prayers to God uh, over and over again. And sometimes our minds are on another planet, and we, while we're praying, we're praying these prayers. Have you found that out, or am I the only one here? probably more spiritual than I am. I have to bring myself back in line sometimes when I'm praying on my own. You found that in reading the scriptures as well? You know, you read a chapter and and you're like, what did I read? Yeah, I'm the only one, I'm sure. Um, oh, forgive me, God. And then I have to go back and read it again. And And sometimes I read it several times. Like, I want you to speak to me, God. I really don't want to just read a passage and say, oh, I've done my reading for the day. When we have a heart for God, when our heart is right with God, we, we will we'll push into God. Warren Worsby says that mere reciting of memorized prayers can become babbling. The Gentiles had such prayers in their pagan ceremonies. And saying the Lord's Prayer over and over again like a parrot or in, in a recital fashion or in a ritual uh, can, can become like that. You know, assembly at, 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 at school, you know, you can just rattle it off. You know. It became very meaningful to me when I, I came to know the Lord. And, and I thought, whoa, understand what it's, what it's saying now. Th- that's wonderful. But when we just rattle it off, we hop into bed and we feel good about ourselves, we've said our prayers for the night. That, that's not praying, just Praying it by rote. Tibetan Buddhist prayer, the prayer wheel, is, is an extreme example. You pray by turning this wheel. It's a, it's, it's a c- cylinder that turns as you turn the wheel, and it's filled with prayers. And you're praying this to God, and, you're, and, you're, and your mind can be on holiday. Your mind can be far away, and you can be thinking about other things. And, but, you know, you, they're so happy that they and religious, that they, they're praying to God. And prayer flags also comes into this category where the wind takes your, your prayers to God. The wind actually prays for, for you. How ludicrous is that? William uh, Tin, um, Hendrickson says that there are many other things in Christianity that, that border on, on this kind of thing, where it's a ceremonial thing. We do it over and over again. It becomes meaningless. When our prayer life becomes meaningless, then we're in danger and we need to come back 
to the reality of, of prayer. Transcendental meditation uh, almost borders on this. And um, I don't know why it's called meditation, because you just block out your brain. You, know, you kill your brain. Meditation is about concentrating on the Word of God, meditating on the Word and meditating in prayer before God. John Stott says, what Jesus forbids his people is any kind of prayer with the mouth when the mind is not engaged. And of course, this doesn't re refer to, to tongues because tongues is a heavenly language that you can actually speak to God without your mind being active. But even then, it's important that when we do speak in tongues, if we do speak in tongues, that we concentrate on God, we focus on him, focus on his presence. We need to practice the presence of God. Each time we come into God's presence, we need to recognize that he's there. He's there to minister to us. He's there to hear us. The almighty God of glory is there for us. And so thirdly, prayer is not the use of endless words for the sake of praying long prayers. Verse 7, pagans think that they will be heard because of their many words. Why do they pray long prayers? Because they feel that if they pray a long prayer, God will hear them. Or if they pray long and, and even loud prayers, then, then God will respond to, to their requests. And uh, one example in the Old Testament is found in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 25 to 29, where the priests of Baal, all four, 450 of them, are challenged by the prophet Elijah to a duel. Let's see who, who is God. Let's see who is the true God. And they make the altar and they say, if, if your God is God, then he will bring fire for the altar. If our, if our God, Jehovah God, is real, he will. And they, and they, and they cry out to God um, all morning. And then the afternoon he says, well, maybe he's gone on holiday. Maybe he's gone, you know, he's just gone a bit AWOL. Just shout a bit louder. And so they, shout, they carry on and they shout and they scream. They cut themselves and they pray all day. All day, nothing happens. And Elijah simply turns to God in prayer, in a very short, simple, childlike, faithful, faithful prayer. And God comes and he devours that altar, demonstrating that he is the living God, that he's the true God of gods. And so in the scriptures, we have many striking and, and fervent prayers that are short and powerful. And uh, they're interesting to read. Moses' prayer, Solomon for wisdom, Hezekiah's prayer, Jabez's prayer, the dying thief on the cross. When he came to realize who Christ was, he didn't have much time to pray. <laughs> very, very, a very long prayer to God. Stephen, when he was dying, Nehemiah, many short prayers. The Lord's prayer which is only 57 Greek words, which has all the, um, the elements of prayer, of true prayer. Don't run away, Dave, you might have to preach. All the elements of true prayer in the Lord's Prayer, and it's so short. But long prayers are not necessarily wrong in themselves, in and of themselves, because Jesus went out and he spent nights in prayer, did he not? And half days in prayer. But he went away from the crowd. He went away from people. People didn't see him. He didn't trumpet his spirituality. He didn't say, whoa, look at me. You know, I spent five hours in prayer. How spiritual am I? No, he didn't. Why did he pray those 
long prayers with, with his father because he loved his father. He enjoyed his father's presence. So it, it's, it's not wrong as long as we don't draw attention to ourselves. So why does Jesus berate the scribes then for praying long prayers? In Mark chapter 12 and verse 40, he says, they devour widows' houses, and for a show, they make lengthy prayers. It's for a show. It's false. It's hoodwink. It's not true prayer. The Christian that trumpets his prayer life and tells how long he prays all on his own, really has fallen into spiritual pride. And prayer meetings can also come into that category as well. I've been in many churches over 50 years that I've been a Christian, more than some of you have been alive. And um, I've seen how, how prayer can become competitive to see who can pray the longest or the loudest or the most eloquent prayer or the most theologically um, sounding prayer, or who can pray the most scriptures. There was a man in one of our congregations that I went to, and um, he, he had an amazing memory for scripture. And he, in a prayer time, in a prayer meeting, he would rattle off, I don't know, up to 20, 20 verses. Now, God is not adverse to us using verses as by way of saying, God, you said this, and I believe this. But it was a display. You see, God, God doesn't need to be reminded of his own word. He inspired this word. He wrote the word through people. So we're not impressing God, but we're impressing man. We're impressing man, and it's spiritual fraud. And so Jesus tells us how not to pray so that we can pray aright. And, and, and right prayers, correct prayers, are simple, are straightforward, are sincere, are full of faith, are, are full of trust in a heavenly Father who, who cares for us. It's coming to Him because we've been invited to do so. Verses 6, 8, and 9, it focuses on our heavenly Father. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 8, do not be like them, for your father, not their father, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9, the Lord's Prayer, our father. We need to start with our father, because even though he's the great I am, the altogether amazing one, he is our father first. Firstly and foremostly, he's our father. He, he is our father because he has adopted us into his family into his kingdom. Why did we need adopting? Because we were once far away from God. And he drew us by his spirit. And when we committed our lives to Christ, we knew and became his children. John chapter 1 verse 12 says that to as many as received Jesus, to them gave me the power to become the children of God. And so those who are not born again do not have a father, do not know him as father. So because we have been invited into his kingdom and we've responded to him, we've been adopted, and we have this close, intimate, and dynamic relationship with our heavenly father, and we can call him Abba Father. Jesus used that Aramaic term, and it means daddy in the closest, in the closest sense of the word 
When I used to go and visit in hospital, the guy that opened the boom, gave me the ticket, used to call me daddy. Like, don't recognize you as my son. And I realized what he was meaning. I'd never experienced that before, anybody calling me daddy. You say this with affection, you know, so I received it as affection. But there's a completely different relationship here between that daddy and my daddy in, in heaven, right? And Jesus even said, my father and your father. He had a special relationship, the father, which we cannot have in that sense of the word because of the triune God. And so isn't it incredible and, 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 and what a privilege it is to 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 have fellowship, to have a relationship with a God who created the universe and who sustains the universe. We should therefore highly prize and value prayer above everything else. We should, we should do that. And how do we do that? We do it on a daily basis. We do it as Joey emphasized last week. We have set times to come to God in, in prayer. And we pray continuously. We pray in slip, snippets throughout the day. I've, I've had many Christians who said to me, I, I don't have a set time. I don't believe in a set time. It's, 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 um, it's not right. Well, they often say, well, you know, days and weeks go by and, and actually I'm so busy and I'm so caught up that I don't pray. You see, having those times, those set times, makes us conscious of God throughout the day, makes us conscious of God through, through our lives. Those are important times. So this God of eternity, this God who is eternal, uh, who is all-powerful, who is all-holy, and who is self-sufficient, wants to have a, a relationship with us sinners. Fantastic. And he says, I'm, I'm your father. I'm your father. A perfect father. Maybe we've had imperfect fathers, and it, and it blights our understanding of, of the perfect one but he can do no wrong. And so this awesome, powerful God is delighted with us when we come to him in prayer. Just like a, an earthly father is delighted with a son or a daughter who comes from, back from school, sits, sits on, on the father's lap, tells him all about the day at school, tells him about the needs. That's, that's the picture of our father. He wants us to come to him in simple faith and simple trust. How offended, how hurt parents would be if a child refused day after day and week after week to speak to his parents. My mother was an orphan from birth and uh, she um, didn't know her parents. And she would say to me, and she often spoke to her deceased parents. Now we know that it's, it's not right from the scriptures. We're not meant to, to be doing that. And... Um, and dead, dead people can't respond, can't hear us. But God can because he's alive. The thing is that I've mentioned this is that here's a child who wants to speak to her parents. It's a natural thing to want to speak to your parents. It's a natural thing for us to want to speak to our Father in heaven. Amen? It's unnatural. It's unnatural for us not to want to speak to our Heavenly Father. It's gross. It's grotesque. It's not on as far as God's concerned. It's not my word, but it's, it's his word. Pray continually, God says. Not sporadically, not on Christmas days, but every day we need to come to our Heavenly Father. 
And so the big contrast between pagans and us is that we have a, a heavenly father. They can't call him father. They can't call him father. In fact, God won't even hear them praying about their needs because he's not their father. What, he, what prayer does he hear? The only prayer that he hears from, from pagans, from non-believers, is God, I'm a sinner. I need Christ in my life. I need my life to be changed and transformed. Thank you that you died for me, Lord Jesus. Allow me to come into your kingdom. Remove my sin. Come and restore me. And from that moment onwards, he becomes your father. And you have a relationship, an intimate relationship with him. And he's a father who, who knows our every needs, it says in this verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they, um, they, they, um, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Verse 8, sorry. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He knows what you need before you ask Him. So then why, why pray if He knows? That's a question that I've been asked quite a few times. Maybe you've asked that yourself. Well, a couple of things, and, and this is not extensive. And so in telling us that God knows everything, Jesus actually is saying here that God knows everything because he is God. And so we as children of God can come to him with, with confidence to know that God knows, that he knows all about us, knows about my, my worst sin, my worst scenario, and he still loves me. And so he knows the 8 billion people across the globe every moment of every day. He's aware of all of those people. It's incredible. Any moment of any day, that's how awesomely great and all-knowing he is. But he's more concerned about his children who call him father. He's more concerned about our needs. And so he's not telling us, Jesus is not telling us that God knows our needs to dissuade us from coming to him with, with our needs. To the contrary, it's by way of encouraging us to come. We can come. We can come. My son was just old enough to say, Dad, can I go with you into the deep sea and and uh, we were out there for a long time, then got swept away when I came, came back with him. And um, I, I tried to swim back. I tried, and we were taken further and further away. And, and, uh, and I was loath to, to ask the, the lifesavers. I, I determined that I'd never um, uh, ask a lifesaver. I'd rather just get swept out to sea and rock up somewhere 50 k's away. And then my son, Guy, said, he was swallowing water, and he said, Dad, I can't any longer. Boy, was I glad when those guys came, that he put pride in my pocket. But it was those words, Dad, I have a need. It's those words that, that, that touches God's heart. When we come to him as Father, we say, God, I have this need. We touch the heart of God, and he responds to us. Secondly, prayer is a mystery, and it shouldn't put us off. It shouldn't put us off. God is a mystery. Can we understand, fully understand who God is? No. The Trinity? No. Three gods? One person? Jehovah's Witnesses can't understand 
the Trinity, so they, they just dispel it, you know, and Jesus then is not God. That's very sad, very tragic. And it's by faith that we understand that God says we can pray and his heart is moved. God knows our needs, um, Kendall says, but dignifies us by letting, us, letting our prayers make a difference. Prayer is a truism. Prayer changes things. Prayer gives us the privilege of changing things. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's an unfathomable that, that we can move the, the hand of God, who is sovereign, who, 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 who does all things on his own, does all things well, and, and, and won't be moved from his plans and his purposes, and we can move the heart of God. It's a, it's a mystery, but, but it's a wonderful mystery because we can enter into prayer. Thirdly, God invites us to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, verse 11 of chapter 6, it, it tells us to pray for our daily needs. Uh, give us today our daily bread. Daily bread? Really? Yeah, because they were laborers in those days. They, they, they earned their money at the end of each day. And so they were worried about each day's work. Were they going to be fit enough to work? If they weren't, then they couldn't, they couldn't eat. And so it was a daily reliance on God. And ours needs to be that too, even though we might have money in the bank or whatever. It needs to be a daily reliance. But it's a daily coming to prayer. He invites us to pray. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given you. Verse 8, for everyone who asks, he receives. And so we, we don't pray because he's ignorant. We don't pray because he needs to be persuaded. We don't pray because he's reluctant. We, we, you know, we're twisting the arm of God. Oh God, you know, you've just got to do this, you know. We can never pray, we command in the name of Jesus. Heard those prayers. You know, we command the, the, the spirit of lust to, to, you know, be eradicated over the city of, of East London. They've prayed those prayers, but nothing, nothing really happens. We can't command God. For God honors our obedience. James chapter 4 and verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. And so people say, I, I don't pray. God knows. So, you know, he, he knows. He must just do it. Summer. And then um, you say, well, why do you have a lack? Because James says, because you do not ask. You do not have. And number five, God promises to answer prayer. Simple and straightforward. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Kendall says, this means he will act when we pray. It also means that he may not act until we pray. Let me read that again. This means that he will act when we pray. It also means he may not act until we pray. When we prayed, uh, when Nelson Mandela was released, we filled stadia across South Africa. I remember in um, is it Kings Park Stadium in Durban and seeing on a screen all the other cities and I remember Cape Town, the people couldn't, couldn't get in for, for prayer. We prayed for, for the well-being of, of our country. The, there was talk about a bloodbath. It didn't happen because Christians got together and pray and pray and pray. Corporate prayer is, is important. It's powerful. Come and join us in prayer on Wednesday. God mo is moved by, by us as we come to prayer and we, we come trusting 
As little children, we say, God, you know the chumos that is happening in our country. We're in a desperate state. We need your intervention. We need your grace. And people who don't come to corporate prayers when they call for, for, for countrywide prayers, A, don't, don't understand the critical position that our country is in, or they, they don't under, understand the power of prayer, or, or they actually have just gone off the boil and they're too lazy to pray. We need to pray that when, when we're called to, to pray together in stadia or wherever, we need to be there. We need to say, God, we, we, we want to be counted. We believe in prayer. Do you believe in prayer? Come and join us. Come and join us on, on Wednesday at, at 7 o'clock.